This is the story of the one. As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on. That's why he works behind the scenes, ensuring every light is working, the HVAC is humming, and his facility shines. With Granger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces, plus 24-7 customer support, his venue never misses a beat. Call quickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done. Episode 26, 1080 Financial Group. Hey Chainers, and welcome to another edition of Chain of Wealth. I'm your host, Dennis O'Brien. And I'm Katie Welsh. We're the hosts of Chain of Wealth. So today we're going to talk about investing in the stock market and how important it is to start at a young age. It really is important. There's so much information about compounding interest and all kinds of other things that go along with investing when you're young. And it's definitely something as millennials we definitely need to be doing. Yeah. So just to add a little bit more to that, Katie. So in terms of investing, the sooner you start, the better because of that compounding effect that you spoke about. It isn't necessarily interest, but it is the compounding growth that's going to happen in the stock market over a period of time. And the earlier you start off investing, the sooner you can start seeing growth and that growth will see growth. And eventually over a long time period, you will manage to save up a huge amount of money. Oh, well, that definitely is a good plan to have. Yeah, no, definitely. And also, the earlier you start, the more you can learn and the more you can figure out. Like, you'll learn how to diversify a portfolio, what stocks to buy. And the longer you've sort of got a sort of like a, um, a pulse on the market, the more you can sort of figure out, all right, I expect this to happen or this stock may be undervalued. And you can really take advantage of some opportunities and stuff. You keep talking about the stock market. Is that the only place where you can put your money then? No, it's not. You can also put it in the bond markets. You can put it into things such as gold or silver. You can do um, futures and options. There's a huge amount when it comes to investing and where you can put your money. There's IRAs you can do. There's uh, CDs. It's really almost limitless in terms of how you know much you can invest and everything else. So do you want to dive into our interview? Sure. Awesome. Let's dive right in. Welcome to Chain of Wealth. Here's your host, Dennis, inspiring you to begin your journey of financial freedom. Hey, Chainers, and welcome to another edition of Chain of Wealth. Today, we're talking with Stephen Richel, aka Smart Money Steve from Los Angeles, California an award-winning certified financial planner and public speaker. Stephen was ranked by Investopedia.com as one of the top 10 most influential financial advisors. He's been featured in the Wall Street Journal, Los Angeles Times, and on radio and television. Stephen began investing when he was 13 years old and is a founding partner at 1080 Financial Group, a modern financial advice and investment firm. You can follow him on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram, and YouTube at Smart Money Steve. Stephen, firstly, welcome to the show. Yeah, welcome. Thanks for having me, guys. So, 13 years old, really. Tell us a little bit about how you started investing at such a young age. Yeah, so when I was 13, uh, I had a bar mitzvah and had a little bit of money that I received as presents from that. And I always remembered that my dad would tell me stories about these uh, companies that he had money invested in. And I thought it was really interesting that you could own 
a piece of a company and when they made money, you would make some money. And I just remember thinking that it was really cool, the concept in general. And I even remember that my dad and I would look at the newspaper together. I know that sounds crazy uh, today, looking up stock prices in a newspaper. But, um, you know, they used to put the stock prices in there for some of the largest companies. And we'd look at it on the weekends. And it was like a fun time that we shared together. So I decided when I had a little bit of money there that I wanted to try investing in some companies and the first way that I actually started investing was by choosing companies that I thought were cool. So at the time when I was 13, I thought video games were cool and computers were cool. And, uh, you know, one of the first stocks I ever bought was Intel. They're still around today. They're still making computer chips. Um, and yeah, just by dumb luck in the beginning, uh, you know, I made a couple bucks, um, but I've also lost a couple bucks. Sounds about right. So let's talk a little bit about financial mistakes. Have you made any? Oh, of course. Um, there's no way that I would be where I am today without making mistakes. And what I've learned is that it's really important to learn from those mistakes. So early on with investing, I, I fell to this thing that we call overconfidence. It's a behavioral bias and behavioral finance, but I overconfidence. So I shared with you that one of the first stocks I bought was Intel. I also bought a couple other uh, electronic and uh, technology-related companies. At the time, this was during the dot-com bubble, so basically every stock was just rising, uh, especially technology stocks. So in hindsight, I just got lucky, but I thought I just had this whole trading thing down. I was such a financial whiz kid, and you know, then I started getting greedy. A complete natural, I, right? <laughs> oh yeah, right. Yeah, and then you know, so I got greedy, and it happens to a lot of us. I got greedy. I thought I knew what I was doing, and I, I wanted to try investing in these these penny stocks because like, oh, I could buy so much more if I, you know, buy these really tiny penny stocks. And I'll be honest with you, that did not work out so well. So, you know, overconfidence definitely, definitely took, took the best of me. Um, and I've also made some other financial mistakes, you know, when I had a little bit of money in my high school years, spending it on stupid things like cars and, you know, paintball. And I, you know, I definitely spent a lot more money than I should have um, at younger ages. I should have just invested all of it rather than just some of it. Wow. So let's talk about 1080 Financial. Where did the idea come from? Yeah. So I started working in the financial services industry at the age of 19 um, while I was still in college. And, uh, you know, un unfortunately, my mom was victim to financial fraud around that time. And I just knew that I wanted to help her. And by helping her and going through that process, I realized that I was very fond of this, this just personal finance and being able to help people through personal finance. At that point, I definitely had a pretty solid understanding of investing and it was learning more about personal finance that I realized investing was just one piece of the puzzle. So you fast forward a little bit further on from there, I'm in college. I had an opportunity where I was able to start working for an investment firm. He was a small financial advisor, but he was independent, not too far from where I grew up. And he was my mentor for a little while. And after working with him for a few years and then graduating from college, uh, he basically gave me an ultimatum. He told me, I'm going to continue working for him and help him build his business. I'm going to start working for one of the larger banks or wirehouses and help them build their business. Or I'm going to do what he did and be completely independent and figure out how to start building my own business. And I chose option number three. And that was the beginning 
of you know how I went down this road to starting my own financial planning and investment advisory practice. Fantastic. So, all right, the name, 1080 Financial Group, does it have a special meaning? Where did the 1080 come from? Yep. So I do have a business partner, Matt, and you know early on when him and I were still working at a broker dealer so before we truly broke off and became 100% independent you know we were always focused on comprehensive planning so helping our clients with more than just you know putting some investments together in a portfolio it was it was real planning it was understanding what's going on with your cash flow and your taxes and your estate planning and your risk management your employee benefits you know other goals and business goals that you have so we called that 360 degree, uh, 360 degree planning. And over time, we realized that in a lot of cases, we were working with families. So we would be working with the parents and doing a 360 degree comprehensive plan for them. And then we would ask kids start, you know, saving in a Roth area. Can you explain it to them? Because they're not going to listen to me. They'll listen to you. Um, so then we're helping the children. And then oftentimes we were helping, you know, the parents' parents, which would be the, the children's grandparents. And we just realized this comprehensive planning 360 times or 360 times three um, for all three generations that that equaled 1080. And that's literally how we came up with the name 1080 Financial Group. What an interesting story for that. What was the biggest struggle when you were beginning 1080 Financial Group? Uh, a couple things. With any goal or with any business, especially, I think most entrepreneurs will share this with you. The hardest thing was taking that first step, you know, really believing in ourselves, especially in this industry. It is not an easy industry to get started in. There's a lot of very big players and you really have to have a lot of confidence and believe in yourself. You also need to go out there and begin establishing relationships and building trust with people in the community, family members, friends. That's really the way that we started was going out there, you know, taking care of people, doing the right things for the, the right reason. And, you know, since then, over the matter of the last uh, several years, we've really built a name for ourselves and a reputation built on trust. And that was what was most important. But that was also what was most difficult starting out. Trust is so fundamental to any kind of business. So what would you say is one of the most common money misconceptions that your clients may have? Yeah, I would say in general, the most common money misconception is that it's not how much money you make, but how you save and how you spend it that's most important. You know, a lot of people fall victim to this thing that I call someday syndrome. It's this idea where, I mean, you've probably felt it yourself, right? Uh, you might say, hey, you know, someday I'm going to start going to the gym more or someday I'm going to start eating better. Um, your someday is your someday. The one I hear a lot is someday I'm going to start saving more money. And oftentimes the excuse that we make is, oh, I don't earn enough, so I can't start saving yet. I, you know, I don't, I'm not making enough money. And that's, it's just, it's not true because what happens more often than not is you start making more money and you find more ways to spend that money. So it's sort of the cycle that you never end up breaking. So that is the most common misconception. It's not how much money you make, it's how you save and how you spend it that is most important. Okay, so Stephen, what are the type of services that you offer at 1080 Financial? So at the forefront of everything that we do, we are fiduciary advisors 100% of the time. So what we're doing is we are helping clients make all types of financial decisions that are in their best interest. So whether it's based on putting a budget together, understanding their personal cash flow, 
related to insurance policies that they may already have and they need us to review or advise them you know what's the right type of insurance they should they should be securing through their insurance brokers it's looking at employee benefits or in the case of a lot of our clients are business owners themselves helping them put together employee benefit programs uh, retirement programs 401ks uh, for their clients that's a big piece of what we do um, again going with the comprehensive financial planning both on the business and the individual side the other thing that we do is investment management so we put together very low cost portfolios uh, mainly comprised of index funds exchange traded funds institutional share class mutual funds and we put these portfolios together and help align based on our clients time horizon the amount of risk that they're they're you know comfortable taking uh, different uh, goals that they may have in mind the type of money we're talking about we actually manage the investment accounts for our clients Stephen, a lot of people get hung up over costs and they don't really understand when they're investing that there are costs associated with stuff. And if they do, they always think that they're going to get ripped off. What do your services typically cost? Yeah, that's true. You need to be very cognizant of what the fees are. There is no such thing as free investing. I know there's a lot of apps out there that are disrupting the space. And I love what a lot of these robo advisors and other investing apps are doing. But pay very close attention because I promise you nothing is free. Um, in terms of, of how we operate at 1080 Financial Group, because we are a fiduciary, we are a fee-only firm, there's really only two ways that we are compensated, and each of them are directly from our clients. There is no outside party or third party that offers us incentives. That's how we are able to eliminate a lot of conflicts of interest. So the two ways that clients engage us, it's either a flat dollar amount, which is uh, like a monthly subscription or, or project-based, so think of a monthly subscription as, you know, $99 a month for financial coaching, or, you know, we're going to do a very specific investment analysis or a financial plan, and that is a flat $1,500 that would be project-based. Um, so that's the one way that we work as a flat dollar amount. The other one is a flat percentage of the assets that we're managing. So in the case where we are managing an investment account or investment accounts for a client, it would be a percentage of the money that we're managing, our highest fee is 1% annually. Um, that goes down exponentially as we're managing more money for a household. But do the math on that, right? You have $10,000, right? Let's just say you're kind of getting started. You've got $10,000 that you've saved and that we're helping you invest. 1% of $10,000, uh, that's $100 a year. Um, very, very competitive, uh, especially considering the value that you're getting from having someone like us on your side. That's definitely true. I also know like a lot of hedge funds and stuff like that, they would start at like two or 3%. Plus they also take a commission off whatever they earn, normally about 20% or so. So that is definitely a really good fee. Yeah, that's very true. I mean, hedge funds and different types of investment managers have performance-based fees. Uh, we don't do any of that. We think that you have to keep it very simple and ultimately you have to provide value for what you're doing. Um, you know, just because, you know, the investment performed better this year, let's, let's just be honest, it's because the market performed better. I would argue that most managers, investment managers, don't really control all that much of the return. So I don't really think that, you know, what we're earning should be solely based on, you know, what the return actually was. We, we don't control that. Definitely. And what do you say the average age range of the people that you work with are? 
Yep. So we have a very diverse practice. We actually work with clients uh, across the country. Uh, most of our clients, of course, about 70% of them are here um, and around the Los Angeles area. But uh, personally, about 30% of my clients are young professionals and entrepreneurs, young families. I really enjoy working with them most because these are the types of clients that I know that I'll be helping throughout my entire career and through their entire lifetimes with their children and, and hopefully over time their grandchildren. So, you know, even though we work with, I mean, our youngest client technically is um, a year or two old uh, and our oldest client is north of 100. Um, so pretty wide range of clients that we work with, but about 30%, like I said, are Generation X, Generation Y, and tends to be, you know, some of the uh, the, the best conversations that I have. Great. So let's talk about someone that's a little bit older and they haven't really set themselves up earlier on to get themselves into a good financial position. What advice do you have for people like that? The biggest thing is, you know, if you're in that situation, you need to stop making excuses. Really, at this stage in life, you need to double down on your savings. You've got to get disciplined with your spending and even more creative about prioritizing the way and the amounts that you're saving. I mean, think of it like this. If you knew a storm was coming, a hurricane was coming, you're probably going to go to the store and you're going to stock up on a bunch of water and food to make sure that you're taken care of for the next few weeks. Well, retirement's kind of like a storm. The only difference is you typically have you know, 40, 50, maybe 60 years that you should be preparing for it. And what you need to stock up on is financial resources. So if you haven't been stocking up on those resources and you've only got a few years left, you really need to kick it into overdrive. So the most important thing is that you need to start saving. You need to start having more awareness about how you're currently spending because more often than not, if you haven't prioritized saving and you don't feel like you're capable of saving and it's at this stage of life, chances are it's because something's going on with with overspending right you're not you're not living by your means so you need to really take a hard look at that and tighten the belt a little bit and focus on where you want to be or else you're never going to get there at least not comfortably fantastic chainers we're just going to take a quick break and say thanks to our sponsors and then we're going to dive right back into the value link round chainers are you looking to make extra money on the side Head over to chainofwealth.com slash Airbnb. Katie's written an awesome guide about hosting an Airbnb and it really has a lot of great information as to how you can get setting up and earning some extra money each and every month. Okay, Stephen, so why do you think people fail at achieving their dreams? Yeah, I would say it's because they treat them like dreams. Right? You have to be serious about your goals and not just think about them. You have to do them. You have to take action. I'm a huge proponent for using SMART goals. Um, if you've never heard of what a SMART goal is, that's an acronym, S-M-A-R-N-T. These types of goals are specific. They are measurable so you can track your progress. They're action-oriented so you can take several or many, you know, or just a few, but you can take action steps to actually get progress towards these goals. Um, they, you know, your goals also have to be realistic uh, because you don't want to be demoralized, right? Goals should be attainable. You want to set the bar high, but not too high to make sure that they're realistic and you can achieve them. And then T and SMART is probably the most important. That's timely. You need to have a timeline in place for when you're going to achieve your goals. Think about it. If you had a report due in school and you knew that it was due next Friday, you're going to make sure that report's done by next Friday. But if there was never a time frame for when it needs to be finished, 
would you ever even get that report done at all? That's very true. <laughs> I love that. Smart. So do you have any other books or podcasts you could recommend to our listeners? Yeah, a couple. I would seriously recommend checking out Thinking Fast and, and Thinking Slow. It's uh, by Nobel Prize winning economist Daniel Kahneman. It, it's, a, it's a lengthy read, but it really dives into the basics of behavioral finance, and it'll start getting you thinking more about you know, how you're making financial decisions and how your emotions are very much tied to the financial decisions you're making. So check that one out. The Ice Cream Maker by Subir Chowdhury. That's a really cool one about just doing everything in excellence, customer service and excellence. Uh, very good read, especially if you're a small business owner. Uh, a couple of podcasts that I like, The Entrepreneurs. It's a show that's on Monocle 24. And then also The Pitch. The Pitch is kind of like mini Shark Tank. Um, and it's just a podcast, but that's a pretty interesting one as well. What are some of the best advice that someone's ever given you? By far, the best advice that I've ever received was from my mom. And she told me, this was back when I was in elementary school, and I was a little bit of a troublemaker. And she basically told me, she said, Stephen, life's not fair, tough shit, deal with it. And what she meant by that, and, and what I've come to learn from that is, you know, in life, we're going to be challenged. There's going to be a lot of situations that we're involved with where, you know, the outcome maybe didn't go our way or we thought that the, the, the cards were stacked against us. But the truth is you need to just keep your head up. You need to deal with it. And you need to move forward because that's how you're going to make progress. That's how you're going to achieve your goals. My mom always told me the same thing. Uh, do you have a favorite quote that you like to live by? Yeah, so Warren Buffett said a while back that um, we're all sitting in the shade of a tree today because someone planted a seed a very long time ago. And what I take away from that is that, you know, even though we're all living for now and in the moment, we have to remember that we are not, you know, our lifetime is not infinite and that we have to think about things that are bigger than just us, right? Thinking about family and friends and loved ones, our community, the things that are going to outlast us. And we really need to consider the impact and the legacy that we want to leave behind. And Stephen, we've really enjoyed learning about 1080 Financial. How can our listeners get in touch with you? Yeah, totally. I'm a pretty accessible guy. I actually reply to all of my messages. Seriously, I really do. Um, you can find me online just about anywhere at Smart Money Steve on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and YouTube. We're actually about to launch a brand new YouTube channel um, at Smart Money Steve. So uh, you know, stay tuned for updates on that. Uh, we recently started doing a lot of live stream also on Facebook every Friday at 1230 Pacific for our financial Fridays. Uh, a lot of our clients and friends just send us their financial questions and watch us live every Friday as we answer them live. Cool. Do you have any other last parting piece of advice before we let you go? And then we'll say goodbye. The biggest room in the world is room for improvement. So no matter where you're at in life, uh, working or you know working on yourself, developing that discipline, the focus, you always have to strive to be better for yourself. And that's the key to success. So stop comparing yourself to other people. Focus more on you, yourself, your goals, and what it's going to take to achieve them. Chainers, we've been hanging up with Stephen Ritchell from 1080 Financial. Check him out on all of his social networks. Head over to our show notes page. There's loads of information and links galore. If you enjoyed this podcast, don't forget to subscribe, rate and review. Catch you on the flip side.